No, seriously, if you if you had to be if you had to choose a Madonna cover to be for Halloween, like you'd uh-huh. have to go out into the world dressed as a Madonna cover for Halloween, which one would you be? Like um, the cover, you'd have to do the pose or whatever she's doing. I mean, uh, the first thing that truly comes to mind is hard candy. <laughs> well, boxing. Well, then I also think that confessions would be a great one to do, you know. But yeah. um, but you're suggesting that I do the something to remember cover. <laughs> I just think it'd be really beautiful. Oh, I think I, I, I really just want to wear the Versace um, pantsuit that she wears in the Testino ads. Oh, know? yeah. I think those are gorgeous. And I just like her at her. Do you think that, that, I mean, that is not her office, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Just like in the bad girl video, that's not her apartment, I don't think. I don't think it's really her apartment. Um, And that's not really her hair. I mean, did you think that was her hair? No, I think those are all wigs. Yeah. I do. As, as beautiful as they are, I think it's a. I, I just think for continuity and all, kind of like the rain and all of that, it's, right. it's wigs. All right. wigs. She looks great though. Which oh now, God. yeah, yeah. Which now Esther and Stella wear videos, <laughs> <laughs> like running around the house in Madonna. I'm like, how dare you wear this? Something to remember with. Is Isn't it in the Esther? archive? Yeah, Remember, really. Madonna has an archive of her clothes. I'm like, do you think like, yeah. Do you think it's like in Byron Cellar where she has like a whole basement? That's no, like- I think it's like because St- Stevie, Stevie has has a climate control. She's very specific about it. She has a climate controlled storage space somewhere in LA, somewhere right. where all of it is to preserve it. And I'm assuming Madonna has something like that somewhere. <sighs> Wouldn't you love it if they just opened the archives and you could like, like the way you can do at the Lincoln Center Performing Arts Library, like make a reservation and go. Dress up in the Vogue costume. And go and you can look through things. You can't take pictures. Oh, I think it'd be amazing. I'm sure we'll get a museum retrospective of the clothes. I think we will. I hope so. Before we're done. I mean, don't you want to see the, the, I want to see the Vogue MTV dress up close. Oh, totally. In a big way. I want to see how, what it looked like, how it looks and the. I want to smell the clothes. What? She always talks about being like kind of smelly and stinky, you know, when she's performing. And I yeah. want to just smell. Is that creepy? Yeah, it's kind of creepy. And like yeah. some of those are like for, going to be 45 years old soon. So it's like, uh. it's going to be like, and I'm assuming they've been dry cleaned and, and, you know, sealed. There's some some sealant on everything to keep it from decaying. Okay. Just like yeah. Just okay. like us. <laughs> I was gonna say, just like I injected this morning. Oh into god. My veins. Oh god. Here we go. All right. This is Mark. And this is Kenny. And this is all I wanna do is talk about Madonna. Album eight. Something to remember. From the start, she's been unforgettable. Now, Madonna gives us something to remember. Something to remember also features three new songs, including the new single. 14 of Madonna's greatest ballads is something to remember. 
this album, Kenny, I have to tell you, this album is a significant pillar in the life of Mark Snyder. I remember when this record came out in November of 1995, and I had started college, and I was now out of the house and in um, college at Otterbein College in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And at that time, um, Madonna wasn't cool with my peers. She was still Madonna, but nobody was like listening to her or really into her. And I was also working, I had started uh, DJing at the radio station in my, at my college, WOBN 101.5, The Rock. And everybody there was really into music, really opinionated about music, and really into like the sounds of right now and the obscure sounds of right now. Um, there was one country show on the, on the, the station. And then everything else was like the songs of today. And everybody disdained Madonna on this station. So I didn't have a lot of peers who were excited. I had one friend who was really into Madonna, Johnny Steiner, who hope probably is listening. And I remember I had also um, come out by this point. Yes, Kenny, I am a homosexual. And <laughs> I had to kind of make this choice in at 19 of whether or not I was going to really be committed to being a Madonna fan it, when it was no longer in vogue, because it really wasn't in vogue. And to have Madonna put out a ballads collection in the fall of 1995, which now I look at it and I'm like, this is amazing. This is an amazing record. But it was like the least cool thing to do or to have happen when you're 19 and a freshman in college and everybody's like listening to the latest, coolest thing on the radio and you're listening to David Foster collaborations on your CD player. And yet I did. I continued to be my full self and um, the record has become uh, a huge uh contributor to Madonna's artistry, I think. I think it chronicles um, so much of what makes Madonna music so compelling and so lasting. I mean, the record came out in November. It sold 10 million copies worldwide. And um, second, I think only to the Immaculate Collection in terms of her compilations, um, it sold the most. So it's, it's, it's had its, its staying power legs. When did you, what did you think when you heard it? Um, I really loved it. I was so excited for New Madonna. I knew that there were going to be three songs and I was so excited to hear those. And I didn't, yeah. I felt like they did not disappoint because um, mm -hmm. they were sides of her I hadn't heard before. I love her ballads. So I was thrilled about that. And I needed a Madonna album. Like I was living in Philadelphia. I had just gone through my first like huge, like really bad breakup yeah. Where like I was in love with this guy. I was certain we were going to get married and like he dumped me. He was like, you think I'm a top and I'm not. And then he like <laughs> dumped me. And so then this album. That's why he dumped you without any like. Did you have a conversation before this? Or he was just kind of. I mean, he's like, I really like you a lot. We have so much fun together. He's like, I just can't take the pressure of being the top all the time. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not. Uh, oh, poor Kenny. Poor Kenny in Philadelphia. 
I was like, I don't understand. Um, and then this album came out. And so then I had just had like a whole yeah. set that I could perform of, so- of love songs. Oh boy. I, I felt the same way. This, that I, I had also uh, had a heartbreak by that time. And, and, a, and a lot of, uh, I'd had a heartbreak and then I'd also had a lot of attempts at rekindle at something else and a lot of disappointments. It was a lot, it was a time of fumbling around and uh, trying to figure out, well, how am I going to go out on dates? How am I going to woo somebody? How am I going to flirt with people? So there was a lot of forlornness uh, that it, this album speaks to. Um, and yeah. I think what's so, what's so transcendent about it is um how Madonna's voice, I was so moved. I just listened to it again um, over the last couple of days, the whole thing in order. And I'm just so moved by how Madonna's voice has grown over time. And in the moments of it, I always think of in Live to Tell when she sings, will I ever have the chance again? And that choir comes in to kind of help support her voice. And then you know, well, I have the chance again, and that and those vo- other voices come in during "Live to Tell," and then you get to things like "You'll See," and you get to songs like "One More Chance," where it's just her voice, and they're not adding layers to try and hide its limits anymore. Well, I think that's interesting because I I was I listened to it as well um, last night. I um, turned all the lights off and I lit a candle, a scented eucalyptus candle. <laughs> And I laid down. On yes, the couch. Like, yes, listeners. Kenny Finkel is a homosexual as well. <laughs> I was like, oh, let me let me get this room to some Blanche lighting and <laughs> have some nice um, scents in the room. And uh, just gonna lie down and take in some soft mellow tracks. And um, <laughs> I was really struck. I I was actually really struck by her the clarity and power that she used in her voice in the early tracks. Like oh. I thought crazy for you. The yeah. vocal is so strong mm-hmm. and love don't live here anymore. Now we can discuss why it was remixed, but that her vocal on that is so strong and that on later tracks, she doesn't use that same, pop forward vocal all the time. Like she leans back and then she uses it when she needs it, but she doesn't um, start there. You know what I mean? Like, so I thought that, I thought there was more sophisticated voice um, for sure. But I thought the early tracks were like, she was like sort of coached to like, you know, put that big front voice out to be really, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? To put all the power right at the top. I mean, I, I think from like, you'll see until one more chance that whole stretch which is you'll see crazy for you this used to be my playground live to tell love don't live here anymore um something to remember forbidden love and then one more chance that stretch of it is just so revelatory this time around because you have this new track which has got all kinds of theatricality and stuff and then it dives into the past and and you have these great moments of nostalgia and yearning and all these different eras kind of coming together. And as opposed to it being this like hodgepodge of stuff, there's just a lot of different worlds and she, yeah. she's just playing a lot of different characters. And th- this, this makes a real strong case for Madonna as an actor. 
oh, um, totally. of emotion. And I feel like that that's a huge part of why the record exists is she's methodically and it's it's kind of a genius move because she's methodically recreate reestablishing her role in preparation in her public's persona in preparation for um, Evita. Correct. And everything about this is about stripping away all the all the noise and just kind of focusing on her talent and her. Um, we were talking um, before about the beautiful um, co- cover art that Mario Testino did in Milan um, and and just how simple it is and how sophisticated. And there's a there's kind of a, a couture to it that. um Madonna's hijinks always upstaged what she was wearing or how she was looking. And this really kind of returns her back to her roots in this really great way and kind of uses the songs as like the meat of that discussion. I think this thing about being methodical is interesting because I would say, even though, yes, we know that there's a lot of planning that goes into every time she drops an album and there's a new, you know, point of view that she's taking. And especially by the time we get here, this is starting to become more formal, like, oh, what is my image going to be for this album? What am I going to do? But I felt like this was the first time where it was the methodology was was the main thing, like like she was like, oh, I need to position myself to think ahead to the thing after this, you yeah. know, to build this bridge. And I think that's my one critique of this is that it feels so methodical. Now, I think it was a successful move, you know, yeah. like I think it really did, like you said, recontextualize her, it set herself up, it moved her closer to the center, um, which is where she needed to be, you know, and I think yeah. that she was thinking and she got pretty close that, oh, this is, I'm going to, I could win an Oscar, you know? Um, and I think that's where she was headed or that was, I, I, I don't know if she would ever say like goal to win an Oscar steps, yeah. release a ballad album. Potential but think, though, potential to, uh, she knew the potential for it. Sure. And yeah. that this is sort of like, well, let's, let's move closer and closer to the center. Let's do something quieter. Let's, let's, um, elevate the artistry so that we're taking away from all the other stuff so that when you show up and do a Vita, people aren't like, what's this pop princess doing? They're like, what's this sort of pop icon doing that um, is actually at the heart of it, you know, the songwriter and the master of this whole thing. Um, well, and also, I mean, you, you also look at what else she did in 1995 in terms of film work. She was in the uh, Blue in the Face. She made her cameo in Blue in the Face, uh, the uh, Wayne Wang and Paul Oster movie, which had a, an all-star cast in it with Harvey Keitel, who was very hot at that time. And then um, she did Quentin Tarantino's follow-up to Pulp Fiction, which was which was that that anthology movie for rooms that same well, that's, year. I, well, okay. First of all, and I think, th- no, but I mean, right you, about, you're not right about though, that it was his follow-up to, Pulp it was Pulp his follow-up. That was the next thing he did. Yeah, but it wasn't a follow-up. It was like a little side project and there were f- other directors on it and she but, was even in the Tarantino film. But it, w- but it was marketed as a Tarantino movie. And the fact that she was she agreed to make do this small little role in that film aligned her with what was at the time the kind of new Hollywood movement. She was playing the Hollywood game and, and doing these small little things yeah, just totally. to kind of keep her fingers in and make sure that she was like doing things with Hollywood establishment. Yeah, I th- thought she was sort of practicing. 
Yeah. Um, and just sort of showing up and being there. Yeah. Cause I, there's nothing memorable about either of those films. No, films. nor is there anything memorable about her cameo in girl six the next year, but it's a spike. She's now in a, she's now been yeah. in a spike yeah. Lee movie. It's almost like she's checking boxes off of things that she needs to do to kind of establish herself as like, okay, I've worked with these directors and these people. Now totally. this, it, it makes Evita seem like a natural progression versus this like wacky, chance she gets right well we'll talk more about Avita for sure and totally totally but, um i want to get back to one other thing which is that i feel like yes this this album too like is brilliant in its sequencing um and oh. that it was the first time too that well this may be the only time that she sequenced this album in a way where i was listening to it the last night Know, with my candle in the dark where oh, I was geez. like oh this is a set list mm, yeah like we always talk about what's her acoustic stripped down show and I was like I actually think this is the set list for that mellow show like what if she did something to remember like she just oh did my god her, I mean how amazing would that be and it doesn't maybe it doesn't even have to be Madonna maybe somebody or a group of people should just do something to remember as a concert because I would love. Oh, to I would, would go in a heartbeat. I think that's so beautiful. I think that would be so beautiful to do because there's so many. Th I mean, it, it just it it hits all. I'm just looking down at the set list. It it hits every kind of faction of love and and totally. and heartbreak and you know disappointment. Your family yearning. It's it's. I have it's a two, great record. I have two um, critiques, two little notes, but uh, for debate. About, okay. About the sequencing. All one, right. Of course. Um, well, no, I'm going to start with the smaller one and then we'll go to the bigger one. Okay. The smaller one is that I feel like rain is the emotional apex of this and that I'm not totally there for Oh Father. Mm. And then the instrumental of I Want You is something else. I feel like that's just an extra. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel to me like the end of the album. I feel like if the album ended with rain, I would have been like, oh, but I guess we need a little a little come down, but I felt like, Oh father, I didn't feel the same impact of it that I wish I had. Cause rain to me took all of the juice. That was just personal, but you know, well, I like rain. Well, and it's interesting because Oh father was re-released as a single as it the was? second single on this compilation. It was, it was, it was the second single after you'll see. Really? And, and I found that to be really interesting. It, I've it never was, heard that. Yeah, they released it in December as as a as a kind of single for the for the second yeah before before one more chance came out in the spring in the winter of '96. Uh, um, that's interesting. I, I've always been like, well, what song would go? Because I always think Cherish should be on this record in some place. Oh, but I don't think Cherish is a ballad. No, but I'd love a re-recorded, slowed down version of Cherish here. <laughs> I wish she had done that's something that's my one critique of it. I wish she had re-recorded one of her her older songs. And I don't know which one. I don't want to swap out a, a new version of Crazy for You or any of the others, but I would love to hear a different version, a new new version of one of her older songs. Shooby Doo. Shooby Doo. I would love to hear her do Shooby re-record Shooby Doo. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the closest we get is the love don't live here anymore. And I want to talk about that remix for a minute because um, this remix was produced and um, mixed by David Ritzis and David Ritzis is becomes a huge person in Madonna land. Like we're forgetting and we're not realizing 
this is the first time she works with him and she he he mixes ray of light he um his first he, he's one of those studio guys like uh, andy paley who's been around forever he has seven grammys he's got an emmy he's he's remixed all of barbara streisand's concerts he's his first job was as the assistant engineer on appetite for destruction by guns and roses he's worked with everybody and he he winds up he he mixes all of Evita, he mixes all of Ray of Light. I mean, like this is the first thing he he does with her. And we always tend to dis, dismiss this remix, but it's a huge thing. She must love it because she starts she works with him for like the next five years. Yeah, I don't get that. I mean, I get I think he does really nice mixing work on all the other stuff that you've mentioned, but yeah. I do not get this remix. He's the guy on stage with her and William Orbit when she wins the Grammy. It's David Reitzis from this wow. remix. So yeah, she must, she must, you know, we talked about that love don't live here anymore video and yeah, like, you know, earlier. So I I I I don't get any of it. I think that it would have been better if they had remastered the original, brought the strings out more, you know, like to make it more like I want you. Yeah. 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 I think it's, it was such a beautiful original recording. So my, my second note, and this should be to be expected is, you know, the title track of the album is the weakest track on the album. Oh, stop it. We are not reassessing something to remember. That piano at the end is so beautiful. And then it goes right into Forbidden Love. It's great. No, the the the, the transition to Forbidden Love is great. But honestly, any song that trans- transitioned into Forbidden Love would have been great because it's a great opening to the Forbidden Love. I still, I'm j- I just think it's funny. I just think it's hilarious to me that like the song I hate or... Hate is a strong word. The song I like the least from probably the last 10 years, you know, besides Rescue Me and Don't Stop, um, that uh, has come out um, is the title track for this album that like is now like the thing I have to say over and over again. But listening to that song, I was like, this should have been cut. It like, it it's the flow. I love it. I don't I care think what it you say. Worse. I love you. I love it. I love it. You know what? I, it, I think the alternate title of this was going to be "Don't Stop," and I think she was going to put <laughs> "Don't Stop" on this record. Well, maybe it would have worked as a ballad. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about her collaborations on this album because. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do this a little differently because I, I think we're going to just talk about all of the new tracks together. So David Foster, she collaborated with and um, he, uh, Liz Rosenberg reached out to him, basically. Um, L- David Foster is the first Canadian yes, Madonna's ever worked with. What? <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> He's Canadian. Um, he made a terrible song called Man in Motion from the St. Elmo's Fire <laughs> Album. Wait a second. I love that song. Oh God. He is the cheesiest. He's like an Ario Speedwagon producer. He was the co-writer on some of the greatest Chicago songs of all time, including Hard to Say I'm Sorry. Far away 
It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. I just want you to stay. After all that we've been through, I will make it up to you. I know, I know. He also wrote "I Have Nothing," uh, Whitney Houston's big ballad from yeah. uh, the yeah. other ballad from the Bodyguard soundtrack. And in recent years, he's more well known for commenting on his wife Catherine McPhee's body in social media. Oh God! Can God. we talk about Catherine McPhee though? No, I don't want to talk about Catherine McPhee. Because Let's talk I, about I you'll like see. Okay, but. Can I just say, because I... Yeah, I, you can I, say something about Catherine McPhee. I have a love-hate with Catherine McPhee. Everybody does. I mean, she hates gay people, and yet she's made her whole career being about the gays. Yeah, like she's a really staunch Republican, yeah. like very conservative. And yet she did this show on Netflix where she was like the housekeeper slash singer. It was just like over COVID times, it was on Netflix. It was just one season. Mm. She's like losing with this family. I can't remember the name of it. And, um, but she's also struggling to be like a, a country singer. And so like she's working for the family and then she goes and does gigs and like, this sounds, show sounds, it sounds like Charles in charge. It's basically that. And she sings every episode. Um, and well, there's, I will say, I, I, I mean, I've never really uh, enjoyed Catherine McVie. Uh, Fee. I think she's like, I mean, I, I was never a big smash person or I didn't really watch that show. And, and I know that's her big, like coming out thing. Um, I did see her in waitress once. Um, and she that's... was very good. But do you think she has like dead eyes? Yes, she's she's not an actor, but she she sang the sang the role great. Oh yeah, she's a gorgeous voice. Yeah, but she doesn't know how to smize. She doesn't know how to what? Smize. Hello, Tyra. A smize, a fierce, intense eye expression. Typically done with the eyes squinting, with maximum focus and intensity. Intensity. Otherwise known as smiling with the eyes. I'm not smizing, and now I'm smizing. Nice smize, Tyra. Do you feel the intensity? A smize gets you what you want. You're my favorite, Tyra. A smize, yeah. There's no warmth there. She's doing her job. Yeah, yeah. She's doing her job. All right. Thank you for indulging. You're me. welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. On to more important matters. You'll see. You think that I can live without your love. You'll see. You think I can't go on another day You think I have nothing Without you by my side You'll see somehow, somewhere Okay, I love this song. You like? I love this song. 
I do too. Uh, um, I I think that this has so much. It's a brilliantly written song. It is built around Madonna's strengths and her limits. And it's so dramatic, so oh theatrical. God. It's basically an audition tape for Evita. Yeah, though she didn't need to audition. Maybe she's nope. auditioning for the public. At it's this just point. like, hey, here's a sneak peek, guys. Here's what I'm going to do. I mean, in a lot. Yeah, totally. In a lot of ways, I think, yes, I think all of those things. I think the song is like almost melodramatic. Yes. Oh, of course. It's so extreme. It's could so be, extreme. Could be even camp. Well, the video. Well, we get to the video. I mean, the song has got this kind of dramatic um, bum, 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 bombacity. Yes. And Madonna, to her credit, she she meets it. She meets the, the, the bombacity with a vocal that I think is probably one of her best vocals. Uh, oh, certainly I her agree. best vocal up to this point. Yeah, I think it I think. She has a certain. She's been taking singing lessons already. I think. Yes, she and has. Her and she's like exploring that part of her voice. David Foster's production, and this is consistent throughout his career, is always really clean. And so, and and, and method. And, and again, I'm using that word methodical. The building blocks of building the song. It yeah. gets so. And my favorite moment is when she sings, you only have deceit, and then the electric guitar comes in. Totally. And I'm like, oh, my God, a new element. They keep adding elements into the song. And just when you think that nothing else could be could fit on the plate, another yes. piece comes in. It's great. Yes, it's so good. It just has, it's so, um, it's beautiful, too, and soaring, but it's also not out of reach. Like, no. it's like, I remember when the song came out and the song, the single, was you'll see and then the instrumental yeah and so because i was going through a heartbreak i would play the instrumental <laughs> oh my god and did sing you sing it at the top of my lungs in oh. my apartment in center city philadelphia like over and over again and i was just so pleased because i could hit all the notes and yeah. hold them and you could really feel it you know i i i would always like preface it was like those legends in my living room moment you know where i was like um you know Hello, everybody. Um, good evening. Um, this is a song I just wrote about a breakup I went through and how I'm going to survive it. I'm not going to name who it's about, but he knows. Do and you think this is just, do you think this is not autobiographical? She's just writing a, a song? Yes. Yeah. I think it's, it's too big. Assignment. It's not specific because that's that's my one thing about it is, is as the lyrics are all brilliant, but um, there's not none of the quirky detail specificity that I always get when she's doing something autobiographical. Yeah, totally. I mean, it feels again like, you know, Liz Rosenberg reached out to David Foster, who's like the epitome of the middle. Yes. You know? And this is perfect songwriting. It's an assignment song. You know, I think he was hoping, I think there's some interview where he says like, well, I was hoping, you know, you never know what kind of magic you're going to make, but these are the songs we made. Like he was sort of like, he didn't think they were the greatest songs that he's ever worked on, but he thought they were okay. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think that either of them were like, you know, spending a lot of time together, pouring their hearts out to find the truth. No, they were there. They were there to do a job. And, yeah. um, and, and yet I do know that he was very impressed by her work ethic and her professionality yeah. Yeah, and that totally. she really co-produced the, the songs with him. And yeah, really, like she does with everything. Yeah. She, she knows yeah. what she's doing. Yeah. Um, 
And there's also a wonderful Spanish version of this called Veras that um, was released as well. And it was recorded in Miami at um, Gloria Stefan's studio. Yes, it was. And and it was released as a single. It was released on the the maxi single, I believe, along with a a live version of Live to Tell from the Who's That Girl um, tour. You had um, Live to Tell, and then you had the instrumental, which I had. And it has that beautiful flower on the cover. No photo of Madonna. And see, that's the thing. You want, like, there's no photo of Madonna. So it's very much like just just listen to the song, kids. Yeah. What's your, so you said your favorite part of the song is You Only Have Deceit. (laughs) It's my favorite part. I could listen to it, and I did. I would like, stop the the cassette and and go back because oh, yeah. i recorded it off the off the radio mm. and um and then i would stop it go back <laughs> i loved it i of course love the bridge when we go into all by myself yeah. i don't need anyone you know that's when i would really like dig into the vocal and i could just feel like oh it's all here and but also the the harmony that she does there is so beautiful yeah um it's really really nice work it, uh, it, it, it's a great song and it really um it, it, if you weren't on board for the funky r&b experimentation on bedtime stories this was like another page turn like this was all of the sophistication of that record without the experimentation and it's just it's what it is yeah yeah and in a lot of ways in the video really um drives us home like it connects to take a bow Oh my God, let's talk about the video to you'll see. <laughs> First of all, Michael Hausman's back, the director of Take a Bow. Um, and they're, I think they're also using some footage they didn't use in Take a Bow. You think? Well, first of all, they use, they actually use footage in Take a Bow and then they use other footage as well. So there's like literally things pulled right from the Take a Bow video and then other stuff as well. Like um, the, but the Matador the is back because he looks so much older and harder in this video. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think there's there may be some new stuff filmed, but I can't. I I wasn't sure. Well, when he stabs was, himself with the knife, that wasn't the sword. Um, yeah. I think that's new. Yeah. Do you think Michael went down to film that, or do you think they had like another crew did it and sent it to him? I don't think he went back. To Madonna school. didn't go. No, of course not. <laughs> Madonna, course not. Madonna was in a sound studio on the train. It's such a theatrical. It's so melodramatic. Let's. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like a Patricia Highsmith story. <laughs> like. <laughs> Well, it's such a stupid story at this point. Do you know what I'm saying? He's like, chasing her. He's like, like when, when she was standing like, and for, okay. All right. First of all, Madonna looks beautiful. She okay, looks yeah, amazing. We have to, can we just start there? Because yes. she's 
first of all, she's very saturated and it's very like bright white light on her face, yes. but her with a gold hair. kind of thing. Yes. Cause the tree, when the, the fall trees and all of that yes. and all that caramel colored clothes she's wearing oh, yeah. and her hair is sort of like this caramel color. Too, yeah. Actually it's beautiful. Her makeup is beautiful. It's super clean. It's the cleanest we've seen her look like all of the bedtime story, heavy eye yeah. stuff is gone. It's like, Oh yeah. Beneath all of that is this really beautiful woman. Um, who also doesn't she have like a she's clutching like a a purse that's sort of like a a leopard print or no that's her hat oh, her, her hat is a leopard hat <laughs> she has a hat and I and I and I when I watched it again now Kenny when I watched it again I was like oh my god does Madonna put on that damn hat I do not want to see Madonna wear a leopard <laughs> like she has like a little like hat. Oh, yeah. She holds and she never it. does. Yeah. It's a prop. It's not yeah. a, something she's putting. I'm sure there's footage of her having tried to put it on. In a, oh, I'm yeah. leaving. I'm going. Walking away and putting the. Hat oh on. my god, that leopard hat. What is that? What? What? There's no. I was just like, oh but my it god. It really does finish the outfit. I mean, it looks beautiful <laughs> on on screen. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like totally. It's the same as like in the I'll Remember video, and she has that beautiful necklace. It's like, why is she wearing that? And yet, like, she needs it. Like, it needs yeah. it for the composition. Well, um, well, the rest of that outfit is so, so it's all solids and everything. So she needs some kind of pattern. Yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. I thought that's the, the design of that is the best part of the video, yeah. um, the way she shot. And she looks so different than she looks in the Take a Bow video, which is why it's hard to think of them really as like sequels. You well, know? do you think they're just older and wiser and she's departing? My story is, is like my idea is that, okay, they got together in the Take a Bow video and then now they've broken up. Years years have gone by. They've broken up. They seem older and wiser. And she's leaving to go back to the States because her visa <laughs> ran out. And thank God she's in first class. The first thing, I'm so bougie. The first thing when I saw her on the plane was, is she in first class? She better be in first class. Because <laughs> she's not sitting in the front row. She's in like the second row looking oh. out the window. Yeah, she is, though. The cushions well, show that she's in first class and and she's leaving and he's like <laughs> trying to chase her. And first she's on the train looking out the window the, or it's Madonna on the Orient Express and like the cars like alongside of it. And it's like, what? It feels yeah. very stalkery. That's why it, it's a Patricia Highsmith. Book. I feel like like all of a sudden he's like everywhere she's supposed to be. It really doesn't make any sense though, because she said goodbye to him at the last, like they had a breakup. The, the take a bow is like, she's like done. Like it's over. Yeah. And but, so she, but he's know. chasing the train with his car and his driver. He's like, you took my keys. <laughs> <laughs> I want that leopard hat back. I need my house keys. <laughs> I only had the one coffee. Oh my God. I can't get into the castle. <laughs> Kurt Loader is here. I don't know what to do with Kurt's him. locked in a closet. You got to come get him. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so, my gosh. I think that this song, what's been interesting is the way this song has lived past the original recording. There are two wow. significant recordings or and one significant performance I can think of, I don't know. Um, uh, Shirley Bassey did an amazing cover of this song. Yes, she did. You see, you think I can't go on another day. 
I was like, of course you'll see is the one song that, that people are going to cover like crazy. Yeah, why? Why do you say that? Um, I think I think the David Foster element um, um, assuages uh, singers that they. Oh, I could sing that song because it, it's in the it's in a language I already know how to do. Shirley Bassey has sung a ton of David Foster songs, um, and again, the lyrics are so universal, they're specific enough, but also universal that anybody could really apply it to a situation. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's why they do it. Who's the other one though, besides the glorious Dame Shirley Bassey? Susan Boyle. Ah, Susie Boyle, our friend. She apparently would used to sing this song at auditions. Um, yeah. When and and she would sing it as like, I know you're not going to cast me, but one day you'll see. And I, if I'm not mistaken, it's on her debut album. It is, see. yes. Um, and then she apparently years later um, went to Madonna and asked if she could use the song for her live. She wanted to create like a bio show. Mm-hmm. She wanted to use "You'll See," and Madonna said no. 
no, we're not doing that. No, no, I don't think so. She's like, mm, no, thank you, Susie Boyle. But she did cash those checks from the the multi-million selling Susan Boyle debut album. Yeah, sure. and she does a really beautiful job with the song. I mean, she's yeah. a great voice. And it does similar to like, similar but not similar at all to the Sondheim songs that other people cover. Like, it really can fill both kinds of voices, meaning like a pop voice or a more formal voice, you know? Well, well it's interesting because it does remind, I mean, you'll see reminded me of like, oh yeah, when it came out, I was like, oh yeah, this is still the woman that did the Sondheim songs like five years ago. Yeah. And it's kind of, it, it they are linked in this way of, absolutely, it's, it's legit like pop singing. That's That's the right word. Legit is what it is. It's a legit. Yeah pop song, you know, like similar to songs that Whitney Houston did on Bodyguard. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's a mistake that that's partly why David Foster was approached. Yeah. 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 He's also was connected with Babyface, you know, and so they're, they're, it's still sort of in that wheelhouse, you yeah. know. These these songs, and and um, as opposed to I Want You, which we'll talk about, like these songs are, are very intentional. And I yes, think that that's yes. what's so great about it. And oh. they were also, I mean, uh, you'll see was a huge hit in Europe. And, and um, I America. think that's why Susan Boyle appropriated yeah. it. And yeah. Shirley Bassey appropriated it. Um, Madonna sang it live. This was, the, this was the most noteworthy thing about her live performances. This was the first time on the Drowned World Tour that Madonna um, shook up her set list mid-tour. It was yes. quite the news when it happened. Um, Madonna started singing it in Philadelphia when she first came to the States, and she sang it in Philly, New York, Boston, Miami, and Atlanta shows during the Drowned World Tour near the end on the, because that was kind of the end of the tour. Um, and she took out Gone, she would sing Gone most of the shows, and then she started singing You'll See when she came to the States. And she kind of yeah. flipped like as the tour went on in the state, she flip-flopped back and forth and then ultimately went back to gone for the last stretch, which were the yeah. ones that were recorded. But she sang, you'll see, and the sound, They're- you can hear the bootleg in Philly the first time she did it and people lost their minds. And it was really, it was the first time she'd ever deviated from her set list during, during a, yep. a run of shows. Yeah, I th- I, I'd be curious to hear why she kept playing back and forth. When I saw it, when I saw that concert, she did gone. I didn't see OC, so I missed that opportunity. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
There was a video for Veras, which was yes, um, basically the you'll see video intercut with video of what looks to be like Madonna in a recording studio. Well, it's um, footage from the Forrest Sawyer uh, interview. Oh, yes, that yes, that's did, right. Yeah. Which <laughs> I love. Should we talk about Forrest yes, Sawyer? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. my God. Forrest Sawyer. Um, so Madonna did a fabulous uh, primetime live video uh, hosted by Diane Sawyer um, in the fall of 1995 to promote um, something to remember. And um, I believe they shot it down in Miami while she was doing the Veras recording uh-huh. and she's recording it and um, has a great manicure because you see her with her hands. Yes. yes. And um, it's a great, great great interview and one of the things that's interesting our conversation today because she slaps back pretty hard on um her calculating reputation about planning and 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 um that every transformation of herself physically is is a is a a calculated cynical move she's very adamant about it in this way it seems to me that a lot of what your work is is about image in some fashion well i'm a visual artist and you keep reinventing yourself. Is that a fair way to put it? No, I think that's a really boring way to put it. Um, I am so, I, I get so exasperated when I hear that, that I'm reinventing myself. What, it's like... Well, you're not just getting a dye job, you know? I mean, you're, these are completely different looks. But, so any girl that, like, reads Vogue magazine, I mean, you know, you, you change with the times. New clothes come out, you get interested in different fashion, you want to change the color of your hair. And for some weird reason, people connect that with, with some sort of negative connotation, like some, some sort of like um, conscious manipulation of people, which it absolutely is not. I can't tell you how far from the truth that is. Calculating is the word they use. Calculating. Well, that's another way, you know, I'm calculating, I'm controlling, I'm ambitious. It's not a bad thing to want to control things. It's not a bad thing. I mean, being, we are all manipulative in, in, in our everyday life with people. You're, you're manipulating me right now in this interview. And, well, and I'm doing the right. best I can. Exactly. I mean, when you look at, for instance, look at Robert De Niro or look at any, any great actor who completely reinvents, reinvents themselves for, for their roles in their movies. Um, when he does it, it's looked at as art. When I do it, it's looked at as evil and manipulative. And so is that hard? To deal with? Well, yeah, I mean, it's not pleasant. I'm sure you get it a little, at least a little bit. I mean, there's everyone's jealous of anyone that's doing well. Yeah, but, I mean, what you get is a rainstorm of stuff. Periodically, well, people come... If Princess Diana can take it, I can. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's, it's, it is, it's it is like, you know, she said in other interviews about um, her creative process. Like, she's very impulsive. She just goes with it, whatever it is. And I think for her, it is mostly that, you know, and I think part of it too is like, and this is the fascinating thing about Madonna forever, that we in real time are watching a human being age, grow, change. And that unlike other pop stars who um, they may be growing and changing in their real lives, stay, keep their image the same. Yes. She really like, you know, and this is the thing we love. I love to talk about Madonna. Like she really always checks in with like, where am I now? What am I feeling? 
who am I? How have I changed? And that becomes whatever she becomes next, you know? Yeah. It's truly genuine that she was like, it's time to stop and reflect on what I've made in a different way. And yes, that is also about like positioning myself for the future, but also like, can we just take a second and stop? You know, like I need the second, I I've gone through all these things. I think I'm healing from this thing. I'm about to change again because I can feel myself moving in this direction. And she captures that moment, which is a really rare and powerful thing that somebody can do. Not everybody can really like self acknowledge like do you know what i mean well it's it's this idea of being both in the moment and being genuine and then also being able to be outside of it being like okay this is what's resonating with me yeah and what i love about one of the things that i love about this interview and it's the first thing she says is i'm a visual artist and to me that that was a sign of I'm taking myself seriously and my work seriously in a different way than I have before. And I'm really going to kind of um, really see, I'm taking responsibility for it in this new way. And I thought Mm. that that was a really, I don't think she'd ever called herself a visual artist before then. In, yeah, in, that, right. in that tone. Um, right. The other thing that I think is interesting that isn't talked about during the interview, but um, Maverick Records has kind of taken off by this point. Alanis Morissette, another Canadian, has released Jagged Little Pill, and it's this huge success in the summer of 1995. And so she's putting something to remember out in the aftermath of this huge monolith that has basically made her record label a thing, yeah. a force, a true record label. And I think there's also something probably in this idea that this young woman is now this huge global star after one record. And I'm at this other point in my life and I'm both helping her become who she's going to become Alanis Morissette. And I'm transitioning to this next stage in my own career. And that's, that's gotta be informing how she's doing it as well. Totally. Totally. Super interesting. I love that. Um, There was another, um, back to You'll See, one last time. There was, she did perform the song in Europe on like a TV show. Yes. Um, And she lip synced. Yeah. And there's a great video, which I encourage people to find online on YouTube, where she she recorded it twice, like, because they weren't sure which version they wanted to use. And the first version, the first time she records it she sings it like really earnestly or she you know acts it really earnestly and she's like really into the moments and like it's as if she's speaking to her lover mm. you know the second time she totally plays to the audience she smiles <laughs> she's like I'll, I'll be fine on my own and she's like winking and pointing to people in the audience. it's like she doesn't even care and i honestly and like she's sort of like enjoying it more yeah um and i was like that is really funny and they they put them right next to each other so you can see both at the same time and see how oh she my gosh it. it's I love totally it. worth watching i love it maybe she felt very um liberated <laughs> i don't know i think she was just like they, I, I bet that what happened was there was like a note like, hey, it's off, a, off a, you know, pretty dour performance. Can you like 
jazz it up. And so she did. There's an audience um, here, Madonna. Why don't you connect with them? They waited <laughs> in the rain to come see you perform the lip sync this song. <laughs> uh, well, you'll see. I think, I think one of the, a, a really great mid career, early mid career classic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one more chance. The other David Foster collaboration. Mm. I was disappointed when I heard this song the first time. Really? Yeah. Why? Because I was like, oh, I want another big theatrical dance number or something. I didn't get I was 19. I, I, was, I wanted something like up and, and it was another sad song in a ballad mode. And um, but what I love about this song now, I mean, you know, um, speakers being better, you can hear the, the the kind of subtle instrumentation. There's a beautiful cello that comes in and snakes through it, and it's a it's a gorgeous song. Oh, I think it's absolutely gorgeous, and you know, it's my favorite thing, Madonna and acoustic guitar. I think this is just. I think her voice really, really shines in it, and I love the plaintiveness of it. It feels like a true song. Um, it feels more true than you'll see to me, um, and probably. Probably you know, I, the the lore of the song is that she was writing from the perspective of of somebody who was singing who sort of said this to her and she was sort of embodying their perspective in the song. See, and yeah. I love the idea that it's it's a letter somebody wrote her because you know she the letters yeah. um, that she someone wrote her a letter and she had it like up on the music stand and was just like literally highlighting lines from it to totally. sing. You know who I, I'm certain it, who wrote that letter. I know. Should we talk about Ingrid for a moment, <laughs> Kenny? Well, only in that I'm pretty sure I've decided in my story of Madonna that it's Ingrid that did this because apparently, you know, this is all again lore. All again, Laura, this is allegedly, 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 you know, Ingrid had like a drug problem and Madonna was like, I don't have anybody with drug, you use drug users in my life. And she like 
something happened and she sort of pushed Ingrid away and Ingrid. And then my story is that Ingrid wrote her a letter or called her and was like, please give me one more chance. I'm so sorry. I totally fucked everything up. I'm trying to work on my problems. And that then Madonna took that as like the inspiration for the song. I mean, I, I, I like that. And I also, I, I also love what it does. What it does is, it, is it, 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 Madonna sings it so passionately and so committedly. It gives us a side a different kind of character, a different side of Madonna that I don't necessarily think she would actually instinctually go to herself. Right. Right. And you I know, kind of love that. It's so much more vulnerable. It's, it's like a really, you know, and also where the placement in her voice, like, yeah, it really hits those breaks and such. That's a David Foster. Way. That's David yeah. Foster. Yeah. He really gets something from her voice that we don't get to hear that much though. We know is there. And um, we don't hear again until some of her really more um, stripped down ballads in the 2000s, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, I really, really appreciate that about the song. And I think the bridge is great too. And, you know, I just think it's a really, her, her again, this is where you can see that vocal training is coming in because yeah. she's oh, really- Well, that's what I was going to say. The vocal, th- this makes a case for the, the, the voice lesson. choices you know and throughout this whole album you can hear all the choices she's made um and how you know the placement of the voice the the way that the microphone that they're recording on how near or far she is from it how loud or soft but in this you can start to hear in words like where she chooses to hold or pull back or release you know so well and and the other thing and, and to your point i think that the the way that this song is constructed gives her the freedom to do some of that. It's not like you'll see where there's all these elements already built into the production where she has to kind of navigate this kind of narrow road. I can see where the guitar player and, 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 you know, that um, Dean Parks, who was the guitar player for this song, um, they probably recorded it together and they did it and she was able to kind of morph with it and he was following her versus the other way that's for sure what it sounds like um and i like that idea that she was working on it live i think that's really beautiful um so mark one side note on one more chance is that uh this in 2000 this mexican pop duo who i've never heard of but i probably are pretty popular called sentidos opuestos ah i love that name do you know what it means no what does it mean opposite senses They recorded um, their own version of One More Chance that they called Hoy Que No Estas, Today That that You're Not Here. Para 
version of One More Chance. They added more, um, like they have drums. It's a little more fuller production. So, um, and it's a little more upbeat. So, or more, um, more poppy. So. Yeah, I mean, I, and I really love it. It makes a real good case for the song as a, as an actual me, like melody. Yeah, yeah, totally. In a way that uh, maybe the original didn't do as much. Yeah, yeah. I would love to have heard like why they chose that song, but I think it's such a cool thing that they did. So there's actually a third David Foster song that they recorded during their recording sessions that didn't make it onto um, something to remember. Um, called I Can't Forget. And I think I Can't Forget is an early, I think that that was the first one they did. Yeah. I I think, and and in all these collaborations, particularly, it's almost like a date. It's like a blind date with somebody. You go in on a blind date, you kind of get the like, the easy stuff out of the way first, the easy choices, the, and, and then you burrow into the more deeper, interesting stuff. Yeah, I would agree. I think that the song has a sort of like, it feels like almost like a Celine Dion song or there's something about it that's not quite, her vocals are kind of interesting in it and there's like, there's something in there, but it doesn't quite work, you know? Well, and it doesn't, there's no like, I don't know, there's no, I I, I think it's an interesting um, experiment kind of thing, but I also don't, it's it's not, it's not going to do what the songs that, they needed to record, needed to do. Right, right, right. Exactly. Um, it will. It, it does point to. I mean, and we've already started to say this that there are these like demos for other songs that she records, and just yeah. like this, you know, she when she does the demos, like they go all the way. Like they, she doesn't. You know, I like that about her. Like that, she really just is like, well, let's go for it, and then let's assess. Like it's not yeah. like, oh, let's just do kind of like a half-assed version and and listen to it. You know, like they they really like it's like fully produced. Um, and and I, and I like yeah. that. I mean, I, I, knowing so much about like you know, I think about um, Stevie Nicks and stuff. Stevie Nicks's demos are always very like half sung, and she kind of is kind of doing them, but kind of not. And you know, she's like saving it up for like when she knows the environment of the song is set, and then she's going to do it. Mm. And um, and I I just kind of love, and I love that she. Madonna knows herself well enough to know that if she's not a hundred percent, if she doesn't go a hundred percent and feel that she does, then what's the point? Yeah. She won't know yeah. what she's got. Yeah, exactly. I love that about her. Yeah. Um, the song was then 
Um, I guess it was recorded by some band called Tilt, who I've never heard of. And didn't they they re they rewrite it and kind of retitle it? And... Yeah, they called it "Come Closer," and yeah. it's on this album that they released called like in 2006 called "Rarities." But I'm like, rarities? Like, were there? Pop- who is this band, Tilt? <laughs> but anyway, let's just listen to a second of it and see okay. what they did. So I say, um, thank you, David Foster. Yeah. Hello and goodbye. But really, like you know, what an interesting, surprising, un, you know, really like the least Madonna thing we would have ha- had yes. at this point. Certainly in 1995, that the last thing I thought would we'd get some David Foster collaborations, and they fit so seamlessly with the rest of. Of um, and there, you know, those two songs are very keenly positioned between yeah. Madonna, Madonna songs. I mean, you know, it, you'll see is between "Take a Bow" and "Crazy for You," and one more chance is between "Forbidden Love" with "Babyface" and "Rain," and it yeah. just fit. They 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 slot right in with the rest of her narrative. Yeah, they flesh out the picture. They give all this other other sides of her voice and story that we've never heard. You yeah. know. And as does this third track, I Want You, her cover of the Marvin Gaye classic with Massive Attack.
So this this has, this is a really really special song for me, um, and I love 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 I want you, um, and I want to go back a little bit. So Marvin Gaye obviously is Marvin Gaye, the singer songwriter, soul singer. What's going on? All of that stuff. He died at 44. Um, but in 1976, he released an album called, starting with the single, I Want You. And it was the first um, disco-influenced soul record he ever made. And it was a huge, huge success for him. And I encountered the record at my next door, my neighbor across the street as a kid. Um, his parents, my parents had vinyl in the 80s, um, but they had a lot of white people vinyl. It was like church music and Simon and Garfunkel and Carol King and James Taylor and you know their their stuff. Um Troy Tyson, my friend across the street, his parents had really cool vinyl and they had the vinyl of I Want You. And I remember it vividly um because in part because of the cover. And the cover is um a fabulous uh painting called the Sugar Shack. Um, and it was by Ernie Barnes, who um, is a f fantastic uh, artist. This man is such a, um, a savant, uh, Ernie Barnes. Somebody should do a biography of Ernie Barnes. Um, Ernie Barnes was a football player, an actor, an artist, uh, an advocate. He um, was a journeyman who did all these things in his lifetime. Um, and was kind of a genius. And he pioneered this kind of um, African romanticism. And he started with the Sugar Shack, which he painted in tribute as an imagining of what it would be like had he been allowed to go to dances as a kid because he grew up in the 50s segregation. Um, and uh, the Sugar Shack is also at the end of the Good Times opening uh, the TV show. So I would see it again when i'd see reruns of good times on tv it would you know it, it goes into the apartment and then it shows the painting and it was the sugar shack again so i grew up with this this record and love 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 um marvin gaye's version So when um, this was announced, and I believe um, something to remember was supposed to originally be called I Want You. That was like an early title for the collection. Um, and this is a really interesting experience because it was one of those situations where Motown Records was putting together a, a tribute to Marvin Gaye music called Inner Blues, the music of Marvin Gaye. Inner City Blues. Inner City Blues, I'm sorry. Inner City Blues and um, the music of Marvin Gaye. And they reached out to Massive Attack being like, hey, do you want to pick a song and do it? 
And um, the other artists on this this collection, it didn't get very good reviews, but the other artists were like Bono, Boys to Men, Diggable pa- Planet, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye's daughter, Nona Gay, um, Lisa Stansfield, Nina Cherry, all these kind of great uh, like R&B soul singers from the 90s, and then Massive Attack and Madonna. <laughs> well, Massive Attack, and then they said, hey, we have Madonna. Yeah. Well, what happened was, um, I think Chaka Khan was supposed to to uh, do it with them, um, and then she didn't want to do it, and so they um, Nellie Hooper, who had um, just worked with Madonna on Bedtime Stories, uh, was like, "What about Madonna?" And um, uh, a couple of first, well, let's talk about Massive Attack. Massive Attack is the trip hop geniuses. They're very known for having these amazing vocalists. I mean, Hope Sandoval from Mazzy Star, Tracy Thorne from you know Everything But the Girl, and um, and you know Tricky was Tricky was in Massive Attack. I mean, they're an amazing. I mean, I I when I moved to England in 1997, all I wanted to do was uh, listen to Mezzanine and wander around Europe because that came out and it was because of this song this collaboration that i did um and so they got madonna they flew to a couple of ma- uh, massive attack not the whole band flew to new york and um and recorded with madonna and it's i adore this song i think it's the best way to start the record it feels very much of the moment it's unlike anything she ever did it's it's an experiment in in the best possible way and yet it fits the rest of something to remember it makes something to remember less of a nostalgia collections and more of something forward thinking i'm just being honest i was underwhelmed yeah. at the time yeah now last night again when i was um listening in the dark with my um candle your scented candle we know kenny <laughs> i um i some tr- coconut oil <laughs> some coconut oil the moonlight and i just had i just took a little uh little little toke of grass um and um, i was a brandy uh, i had some brandy and grass <laughs> brandy um, and grass <laughs> just hanging out on my wicker furniture i um listened to this song and i thought this is really beautiful. Yeah. Um, I thought the or- orchestration when it comes in is gorgeous. I love the beat, which is very um, of that time, but also still very uh, uh, relevant. It felt to me like it felt like it lasted. And I, I liked her vocals, I thought were so much stronger than I remembered them at the time because I didn't understand the melody. I thought there was something off about them. But mm-hmm. as I listen to it now, I think, oh, it's really, really, really beautiful. And it's the closest I think we have in this album to a torch song in a way. Well, I, it's a sister, I think, to Love Don't Live Here Anymore. Yeah, in this way. for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and actually, I didn't know it was the same I Want You when I first heard it. I only knew it was the I Want You when she started the I, 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 because that's very much in the original recording. I'm like, oh my God, is this? And it was. I didn't realize it was the original song. Uh, the song was written by Leon Ware and Arthur Ross, um, who went by the name T-Boy um, originally. And Leon Ware uh, produced the song with Marvin Gaye and sings alongside of it. So he's the one doing the uh, la, 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 ay, ay, ay. Um, 
and I I just think her vocal, and you hear it even more so on the orchestral version at the end, um, just how stark and perfect it is. And I do feel like it was a one take vocal. Mm-hmm. I think you're probably right. One way love is just a fantasy. To share is precious, pure and fair. Don't play with something you should cherish for life. Oh, baby, don't you want to care? This song was supposed to be the first single of, of yeah. um, Something to Remember, and then Motown, there was some problems with the record label and getting the release for it and, and all of that stuff. But a video was shot. A video was shot. Yes, uh, directed yeah. by Earl Sebastian. Um, this is another one where I'm like, wow, Madonna's working through some stuff. Well, yeah, this goes back to this thing that always cracks me up about her, that she, like, that people don't call her back, you know, <laughs> and she, it infuriates her, you know, like, as far back as, like, Blonde Ambition or um, Truth or Dare, where she's like, did I get any messages? And they're like, no. She's like, yeah. And then she's, <laughs> I even think on, like, she even talks about, I think it's, like, in the Take a Bow um, Kurt Loder thing. She's like, well, it just infuriates me when people don't call me back, you know? And like, there's always somebody who's not returning her calls. And that's, I don't think the phone is Madonna's friend. I don't think she's strongest on the phone. Right. Though in, in, you know, recent years, she now has a phone that's like wrapped. It's like sort of like the way that other, in other generations, people would have the old like lady glasses, like on on a little necklace around their neck. She has her phone around her neck um, because she would lose it. Right. But, and she needs it. But in this video, it's like, it's, it's a rotary phone. Yes, it is. And she's basically the whole video is just her like waiting for the phone to ring. And then when it rings, it's not who she wants it to be or they're not there. And then finally, when it is the person, she picks it up and hangs up on them. You know, she's (laughs) like, but I also like in this video, which is very Madonna is like, you can hear the sound in the room. So you hear it's, like, it's a weird video that way. Like the song is playing and she's lip syncing to the song. And yet the phone is ringing too. And the phone's not in the song. So I'm like, right. wait a second, where are we? Yeah. And also like where, yeah, where are we? Cause this is clearly not her. Who is this character? Is not well, uh, so I have a couple. Th- so it's based. Uh, so apparently it, the, the inspiration for her was a Dorothy Parker story that she had oh, read and course. she made Earl Sebastian read. So I think she's playing a, a role. She's playing a character. Oh, for sure. And she has a um, character wig on. Well, and also she <laughs> she does all these things where she flops on the bed frustrated. And so, yeah. and so it's kind of funny and not yes. as as, yes. as forlorn. There's a lot more tongue-in-cheekness to it than than um uh, other other videos around that like it's definitely less earnest than the love don't live here anymore video. Like this, this one just seems to be like, oh, she's frustrated, she's gonna like sucker thumb or something yeah it's in black and white so it has a mood the lighting is really cool i yeah. think he shot beautifully though again i think the wig is like not quite placed right 
<laughs> well, and she has eyelash like false eyelashes in a, in a, in a glass. Oh yeah, that are, keep, that are we floating. Keep, yeah, we keep coming back to those in the. Video. I know. Like, I like, I think it's all about illusion and like you know this is none of it's real and you know I don't have real eyelashes so how can I be I just worthy don't. of love. <laughs> And then at the end of the video, the best part, she takes the phone off the hook and saying, just yeah. rolls away. She picks it up. She drops it. So she hangs up. She's like, fuck it. I don't need this guy. I don't want anyone to call me anymore. I'm just going to yeah. lay here. God. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, you know, these, this, this album, you know, what's, what's interesting is like the last two projects, the videos, every video has been, for lack of a better word, Mark, Iconic. Um, <laughs> and oh, then we almost she went the whole conversation and, without talking and, about it. I, I, totally. And then for this album, she makes three videos, all of which are subpar. I know uh, they're they're subpar in 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 the overall Madonna lexicon, but I think uh, moment to moment, I think they're fine videos. And again, I want to go back to what she writes in the liner notes, which are the longest notes she ever writes in any Madonna record. Um, she says, so much controversy has swirled around my career this past decade that very little attention ever gets paid to my music. The songs are all but forgotten. While I have no regrets regarding the choices I've made artistically, I've learned to appreciate the idea of doing things in a simpler way. So without a lot of fanfare, without any distractions, I present to you this collection of ballads. Some are old, some are new. All of them are from my heart. Special thanks to all who have contributed to the music on this album. I'm eternally grateful. Mm. And that, I, rem I think that that's part of why the videos leave a little to be desired. She's not pushing envelopes. She's not trying to like ruffle anybody's feathers. She doesn't really want to be talked about. She wants the songs to be appreciated. I like that. Nice. Me too. Till next time. Bye.